everybody, and welcome to Volume 4, Issue 166 of the Cane and Rinse podcast. You can play along with Cane and Rinse Volume 4, and coming up we have Silent Hill Origins. Should that be oranges? Then it's Wolfenstein, the 2009 flavour. After that, it's Sleeping Dogs. Then more dogs in Dragon's Dogma. And once again, we return to the Silent Hill series with homecoming uh you can head to canerince.com for the full schedule well up until issue about 180 anyway uh also we have a blog there with articles and features and other things links to our merchandise store where you can buy canerince flavored t-shirts we have a facebook page a google plus plus and a YouTube channel, uh, which has quick rinse videos and other delights on it. Also, you should definitely listen to a podcast called Sound of Play. Why? Because we make it. That's why. It's a sort of sister podcast to Cane and Rinse. Uh, it doesn't go into the same uh, depth and detail, but you don't have to listen to just people wa- waffling on for two hours. It's one hour of games music with interjections. Um, there are now ten of those. There will be ten of those out by the time this podcast reaches your ears. So uh, do find that feed it's separate to this one as always please do try to remember we haven't had any new reviews or ratings for a while it'd be great if you could pop over to itunes and give us a a little text review or even just rate us out of five stars uh, there because it helps our profile but most importantly even more than that is to actually just click the subscribe button on both cana rinse and sound of play thank you very much for your attention now joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, we have Brian Tarran. Hello. Joshua Garrity. Hello there. And returning guest, Simon Cole. Hello. Hello, the Sonic Mole. So you last joined us about seven months ago for our Fire Emblem Awakening podcast. Yeah. And since then, you've become a father. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Thank you. It's going well. I've seen the pictures. He looks, yeah. He looks bonny. He does, and he's got slightly pointed ears and blonde hair. So this this um, so you're not the father. Halloween. Oh, sorry. Well, no, this Halloween <laughs> he's definitely going to be dressed up as a Link from Zelda. I think. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So where did he get? Which side of the family did the the pointed ears come from? Or is he like the the immaculate conception from the hero of time? Ah, uh, well, Lennon Nimoy's not around to do a paternity test anymore. Oh, so, breaking uh, news on this day of recording. Yeah. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure. I think he's. I think it's my sister's got them, so it must be my side. <laughs> okay. Right. So the, this explains your uh, leaning towards um, Japanese role-playing games uh, because your family has pointy ears. Uh, so tell us. Um, we are talking of Chrono Trigger in this issue of the podcast, uh, which is 20 years old, almost exactly. Um, when did you first come across that game? Did you import it on the Super Nintendo, or or what? I didn't play it on the Super Nintendo when it came out. I was conscious of this like raft of really great Japanese role-playing games. Oh, weren't we all? Make, yeah. Making it over to the States, but not over to Europe. So frustrating. Super Play Magazine, yeah. Massively frustrating. Yeah. So obviously when the PlayStation came out, I made the point of buying a US machine to yes. make sure that I could import all the stuff that was going to come out over there that wasn't going to come out over here. And I found out that they were basically porting over a load of old Super NES games. I yeah. think they um, there was Ogre Battle was one of them, so I imported that, and then they brought over Final Fantasy IV and uh, Chrono Trigger, yes. like a double disc compilation. So I imported that. Um, I'd bounced off Final Fantasy VII, so I wasn't really mm. bothered about the Final Fantasy game, uh, but I was well up for Chrono Trigger, and I didn't regret it. Um, 
so that was my first first experience of the game. That was about 2001. Um, and then I played the DS game when that came out, which um, I think we'll discuss later. is probably the definitive version of the game. Um, yeah, and I, I think I last played it about three years ago. And then I dipped back into the, the uh, PlayStation version this week, which was uh, interesting. Yes, it's, it's available on USPSN, isn't it? Uh, so there are ways you can play it in Europe if you jiggle about with an account. Yeah, it was weird though because I think like you, you kind of think video games are all about you know this amazing medium for escapism, but it it's funny how like when you go back to an old game on an old system, how it drags you back to a point in reality, and it was so yeah. strange playing this game having just had Sam, my son, mm. and sort of being in a particularly good place. But when I first played the game, I just dropped out of university and I was all over the all, all at sea basically lost funk. my way a bit oh i was and it was really strange having this sort of moment of reflection going back to the game so it was quite a quite a poignant moment that's interesting i have a friend mm. who can't play uh xenoblade chronicles because he associates it with splitting up with his girlfriend uh so it's um yeah ah, bitch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally totally happens josh uh i'm gonna guess you didn't play this in 1995 uh, no, because I was five years old yes. at the time. Usual, usual story, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I, I feel like this has been my story for every classic game we've talked about on Kane and Rinse. But That's okay, Chrono but Trigger, it's important to uh, let our yeah. listeners for this podcast know. Yeah, but the context. Uh, Chrono, Chrono Trigger was on a list of games that I've slow, uh, slowly been trying to work through of classic games that I've tried to go back to because I was either too young or just they passed me by at the time of release. Um, and um, I, I was, I had a copy of the DS version of the game for ages, but just didn't touch it. Um, as is often the case of JRPGs. I, I had tons of time for them uh, when I was a teenager, but um, as adulthood creeped over, um, it, it suddenly felt like these 90-hour experiences uh, weren't for me anymore. But then um, what what kind of triggered me finally uh, getting down and playing Chrono Trigger was actually uh, Giant Bomb's um, endurance run for Chrono Trigger, um, mm. which was done by the now-deceased, uh, unfortunately, Ryan yes, Davis and... Uh, Patrick Klepik and um, they I, I think that's worth watching whether you're a fan of that game or not just because uh, it's first of all it's really funny I think those two are really entertaining going through that game but also I think they did a really good job of demonstrating exactly what makes Chrono Trigger so great and it sold me on playing the game for myself uh, the, the main thing though was that the game is a lot shorter than I thought it was going to be. Like, I'm used to yeah. uh, JRPGs being these epic length experiences, but Chrono Trigger is considerably... By most game standards, it's still quite long, but uh, by JRPG standards, it's quite short. So that was kind of a major... Uh, a major point where I was like, oh, okay, I'm not going to be spending years trying to get through this like some uh, JRPGs that are still in my backlog. Um, so, yeah, I uh, the first time I experienced it was on the DS. 
Very good too. Uh, Brian, we had a, a, a minor, a, a, well, probably minor, a major by Kane and Rince standards. We had a minor drama this week with your playthrough, but, uh, yeah. but do elaborate. Yeah, I, well, this is my first time playing through it. I was old enough to have played it when it came out, yeah. uh, but my video game development was stunted by my parents' refusal to buy me a Super Nintendo. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> Let alone an import one. Indeed, yeah. And then a few years later, they, they bought my brother a Mega Drive for Christmas. So, yeah. It was a sore moment in my life. Uh, but yeah. no, I picked up the DS version uh, to play through uh, for Kane and um, And yeah, I kind of, I, I, I do have a, a fondness for JRPGs up until mm. a certain point. And that point is usually where I start getting sort of one hit killed by bosses and then have to mm. keep going back and grinding and grinding. And yeah. I felt like I hit a wall like that. Uh, you did. With this, you did. I did. Mm. I, 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 I almost gave up. Well, I, I gave up. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you came back to your corner, and then me, as your coach, was waving a towel at you and splashing you with a sponge. You did. You told me not to give up. You told me, gave me a bit of tough love, and yeah. uh, I went back into it. And yeah, I cracked it, and, and I, I'm a, I've basically been playing it through on my on my commute on the way to work because uh, it's a, about an hour each way. So it was it was uh, yeah uh, uh, an interesting uh, an interesting experience for me as a as a yeah. as a first time player. But it was we'll the DS version into. I was going through, yeah. Yes, sure. Uh, yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I don't know if there there, there, there was a there was a moment um, yesterday afternoon this uh, into this morning where I thought I was going to end up being a massive hypocrite to you, Brian, oh, because really? I hadn't quite finished off Lavos, and I was worried. <laughs> Uh, I was worried that uh, I was not going to make it, and in fact, what I ended up doing, I realised that I hadn't, um, I hadn't finished off every side quest. I hadn't. There were there were two or three uh, of the characters' um, ultimate weapons that I hadn't got, including crucially, uh, the hero Chronos. Um, uh, rainbow sword yeah so uh and that made all the difference um mm. even and this was you know i'd, I'd attempted lavos after uh doing all three um time zone uh optional uh black omen is it black omen or dark omen it probably depends on the translation yeah, dark um, omen. anyway the the hovering cultists craft which worships lavos i'd done all of those i thought i'd done everything um but yeah lavos was still just I was just finding it too tough, even at the relatively um, advanced level that my characters were. But going back, uh, I was in the same boat uh, as Simon. Um, I was reading uh, Super Play in the mid-90s and looking so enviously at uh, Final Fantasy 3, which was the US version mm-hmm. of Final Fantasy 6, and Chrono Trigger, um, because once I'd played Secret of Mana, which was, I think, my first... Uh, my first JRPG, Seiken Densets, was, um, and uh, you know, in a way, it doesn't prepare you for what JRPGs are really like because that one's got real time combat against actual um, animated sprites. Um, yeah, I, I just, I was finding my feet with JRPGs. I was playing Illusion of Time or Illusion of Gaia and um, Soleil on the Mega Drive. And I was desperate for these games, but I didn't have, I just had a PAL SNES, so there was no way to play this. A few years later, I did have a multi-region chipped PlayStation 1, which I still have. And I did get that PS1 version and I played, I played up to a certain point and then I stopped. I can't remember why. Uh, may have may have hit a wall like Brian did, or, or may have just got distracted. I'm not sure. Uh, also, there are some some technical issues with playing the PS1 version, especially on an actual PS1, which we'll talk about. Um, and so I waited until 2009 when the DS version came out in Europe, bought it immediately uh, with the intention of playing it. And then, as Josh will know, 
um, I came unstuck at a point in that as well. There's a point in the story, and here's a spoiler warning for Chrono Trigger. This is your spoiler warning. There's a point in Chrono Trigger later on where you lose your main character. Yeah. Uh, mm. And you can either get him back or you cannot get him back and continue anyway. There are multiple endings, uh, which is a key feature of the game. But I was just bereft. I, I, I just couldn't play anymore. I, I was like, I've lost Chrono. What's the point in going on? I've, like he was my he was my window into the world. He was my blank canvas avatar. And with him gone, as much as I liked all the other characters, it was I just couldn't face it anymore. So I remember speaking to I remember sort of looking it up half heartedly on 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 the net and asking Josh, you know, what do I have to do? I just wasn't sure what, what I had to do or where I had to go. Eventually, at some point, I did do it. And in fact, I came back to it recently to finish off the game, finding out that I'd already got him back. And I'd, then I'd stop playing again for some reason. So the playthrough that I completed, that I've just completed this morning, has actually spanned uh, almost six years. <laughs> my, wow. my total game time is f- uh, just over 40 hours. But I have done... Uh, so the last sort of 10 plus hours of that has been in the last couple of weeks. And I have done almost everything, almost every, I think I've done every side quest and complete and completed the Black Omen three times. So I'm, so I'm pretty much, uh, yeah, it's all come flooding back anyway. Uh, so that's my history of the game. Uh, so going back to the, uh, original release, this was released in Japan first in March, 1995, 20 years ago. Uh, it was, of course, uh, back then it was a square soft game, but actually, interestingly, this was a, a the, the, this was a sort of super group, a development dream team, and included uh, as one of the writers Yuji Horii of Enix. Uh, most famous he was for writing Dragon Quest, the Dragon Warrior series. So this was kind of the first Square Enix game, maybe it's fair to say. Um, the DS conversion was uh, was handled by uh, a company called Toza. I think it's pronounced Toza, but it's T O S E Co. And they are a sort of um, they they made some of their own games. They started off making an arcade game in 1981 called Vanguard. Um, they became a sort of conversion specialist throughout the NES era from 1985 onwards. Um, they also sort of been involved in um, porting some interesting stuff and making versions of other games for handheld consoles like it's uh, they did Van- Valkyrie Pro- Profile Lenith on the PSP and they also did Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins for Capcom um, more recently they've ported things like Resident Evil The Mercenaries and Revelations uh, sorry The Mercenaries wasn't a port was it but it sort of was and Revelations for 3DS um, but they were tasked in the same way I suppose as Grezzo or Grezzo were to make Ocarina and Majora's Mask for 3DS Toza were uh, detailed to make uh, the best version of Chrono Trigger they could for the DS. Uh, so the directors on this game, there were three. There's Takashi Tokita, Yoshinori Kitase, and they were uh, absolutely um, Final Fantasy stalwarts between them, having worked on Final Fantasies 4, 6, 7, and 8. And uh, Takashi Tokita went on to uh, be the main man on the first Parasite Eve game. Uh, producer was uh, Kazuki Kazuhiko Aoki, apologies for pronunciation, um, a Final Fantasy producer. Uh, we worked on Final Fantasy 3 and later on Crystal Chronicles. And of course, uh, key designer uh, Hironobu Sakaguchi, famous again for uh, key games in the Final Fantasy series. And now the first, probably one of the first talking points for us is the um, use of artist Akira Toriyama, 
Um, now, I n- I've never known too much about Toriyama, but all I know him as uh, is as the Dragon Ball Z guy mm. who yeah. who has this very particular art style with these mm-hmm. kind of pointy point. That's really dismissive way, but his characters look kind of pointy to me, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, with spiky hair. And but in a, they have they, it definitely has its own style. Now I know this this style is quite divisive for some people. When you're actually playing Chrono Trigger in this in its SNES incarnation, this is less relevant because yeah. it didn't have the um, the animated cutscenes which are based on his designs. But from the PlayStation. Uh, onwards, the DS version, the Android and iOS versions, I assume as well, all have the cutscenes. How do you, uh, chap Simon? How do you feel about uh, Toriyama's art? Are you a fan? Is it is it something that you um, liked, or would you prefer it to have been one of uh, Square's in-house uh, artists? Well, I've got no uh, no real feelings towards him outside of video games. I'm not a drag. Don't follow Dragon Ball. Mm. Um, um, but I, I like it. He does. He did um, just some of the Dragon Quest stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, which I really like. It's got it's quite warm. It's got a nice softness to it. It's not uh, it's not you know it doesn't try to be too serious. There's like you know there's there's humour to his characters. I think if you look into in Chrono Trigger in particular, people like characters like Frog yeah. and Robo. You know, there's a lot of warmth to them, mm. uh, and I think that a lot of that's not not just the writing, but obviously his artwork. Um, so I, I like it. I'm like I, I don't I, I'm surprised that people wouldn't don't like it. Uh, mm. <laughs> You know, it's, uh, Josh. It's, it's good. <laughs> I, <laughs> Hello. Unfortunately, I'm going to be that person. Um, <laughs> I really like the the art in the game. The 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 pixel SNES pixel pixel oh. art is great. It's fantastic. Mm. But I'm I'm really not a fan of the box art or the cutscenes. Um, mm. It's just it's purely a subjective thing. Um, that that mm. art style just really puts me off. Mm. I'm I'm not a fan of just how crazy Chrono's hair is in the cutscenes and and all of that um and 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 to be honest i i have to admit i i'm quite a big dragon ball z de- uh, detractor i'm 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 not a fan of that series at all mm. so that I, I i i will hold my hands up and say like that's probably influencing my opinion a little yeah. bit but um yeah I, I i'm not a huge fan of the art outside of the in-game art yeah, I mean, obviously the character designs do carry over into the sprite art. They, yeah. they are they are taken from Toriyama's original designs, but when they're condensed down into sort of little super deformed, like sixteen pixel high or however however much yeah. they are, they're very much animated in the traditional sixteen um, bit era SNES way. You know, they'll they'll jump for joy by appearing in the sky, punching the air. You know, very mm. there's not that many frames of animation and stuff, but what is there, I think, is is beautifully effective. Brian, have you got a feeling either way on the? On the on the sort of art style. Oh, only that I would agree with um, Josh that the the cutscenes, the, uh, the addition of these sort of FMV sequences, just felt really out of place. And I don't. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of the you know they they basically repeat what you've seen already in the pixel yeah. art style. So it, it kind of left me thinking. Well, why would why would you put that in? It's just you know because just, PlayStation basically well, yeah, because, okay, yeah, because format, CD-ROM yeah. era because uh, it was it was something to put on the box. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, exclusive Akira Toriyama designed anime fair sequences. Enough, yeah. um, I think it, I yeah. think as well though, Leon, it ties it, it helped tie the game to the sequel Chrono Cross. Good oh, point. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Which we're not covering in this podcast. It could happen in the future, but yeah, the art in that game is um, it, obviously it was a game that was entirely made from the place for the playstation one 
Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, from the bottom up. Um, you can turn the the animated sequences off on the certainly on the DS version. I I can't remember if you can on the PlayStation version or not. My uh, I don't remember at the time though. It was like the novelty of having that type of thing. Yeah, of it was like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, I, need, I I I see where you're coming from though. They they kind of feel slightly out of place when you look at a game like uh, Grandia from the same sort of era. Yeah. Um, which has like one of the classic opening sequences of any mm. JRPG, you know that works really well. And when you put that side by side with Chrono Trigger, yeah, it doesn't really work as well with the, in Chrono Trigger. No, and it's not as if the 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 game needed the the FMV sequences to really sell you on any of the no. particular story beats. I mean, they they do such amazing yeah. things with the the animation and the design in the game itself. It's just it's mm. superfluous. And I understand, that, yeah, as you say, uh, another bullet point, an extra selling point. For the game, yeah, but the it year, was in the year ninety nine or yeah. whatever it was when the PS one version came out. It would have been a bigger deal to to have those in there, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the writers, as well as Yuji Hori, the 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 Dragon Quest guy, there's also Masato Kato who uh, worked on the as an artist, I believe, on the Ninja Gaiden trilogy, the original Ninja mm-hmm. Gaiden trilogy for the NES. Um, but he's also one of the main men on Xeno Gears, uh, and I think there's a huge crossover uh, with the team for this game and Xeno Gears. Um, he also uh, was on Chrono Cross, that sequel, and um, slightly more recently in the DS era, he uh, he worked on those three games with the manor name in that were all. Uh, I avoided them all because I'd I'd heard that they none of them lived up to the to the secret of manor, but uh, Dawn, Children, and Heroes of Manor, mm. um, a strange trilogy that one. Uh, we'll come back to the music a bit later. As I say, so this game, uh, 95 in uh, Japan uh, in, in March, August in America, uh, they only had to wait uh, f- just six months or so for their for their lovely 60 hertz NTSC version. We had to wait in Europe until May 2011 uh, for that version to come out <laughs> over here. Um, it's available. It's still available on the Wii Virtual Console, not the Wii U, but the Wii, um, and it's you can still go through your Wii U to the Wii Virtual Console and the uh, the shop there. It's still available. I checked earlier. It's 900 Wii points, remember those, which translates to about £6.30, or I suppose that's about $8 or something. Um, and that is the US ROM in power. It was released as one of their uh, Hanabi Festival games. So that is the legal way of playing the vanilla original american version but that comes with the original translation so uh to, we'll talk about that um here shall we the translation um as was so often the case for uh, square enix jrpgs back in ni- in the mid 90s was done by is it ted woolsey uh yeah i think that's his name yeah i believe so and um yeah it was ted woolsey and he um, obviously, he did he did a job, um, and it was and it was a very important job. And he was one of the you know people out there who was who was passionate about these games and was helping get them localized for the English language. And one of, one of the main reasons that, um, say, for instance, this game didn't come out in Europe was because he translated it to American English, but there was no facility to translate it to Spanish, German, French, etc., mm. etc. Um, and also the English, the American English in these games, um, sometimes, as we saw with Final Fantasy VII, came over fully intact, and it was a very American English. And in in many many cases, the 
the, there was a, a technical limitation that literally the size of the text boxes uh, couldn't be changed. Um, so the text boxes were full of Japanese characters in uh, kanji or katakana, which said lines and lines of, of expressive dialogue, beautifully ornate written. And then they would get translated by Ted Woolsey into um, American English <laughs> in very simple, accessible, and sometimes very colloquial, inappropriate, dare I say, American English for the atmosphere. Um, so, uh, there were many, I say many, I don't know exactly how many, there were at least two or three, possibly dozens more. I really don't know. Uh, fan translations that were done over the next, uh, decade or so for, uh, adventurous gamers, um, who wanted to play this with a, with a more accurate and more fitting translation, um, through emulation, uh, you can still download these now, and if, if you you know if you were to play this game uh, illegally, you can you can find one of those. But fortunately, Square uh, had the game retranslated for the DS release. Um, I'm, I did read the the chap's name earlier when I was when I was watching the credits roll. Apologies, I can't remember it, but it it was. Um, it's quite different. You could there are places you can go online to compare the two translations. Um, Simon, you've also seen both translations, haven't you? Yeah. So uh, how do you feel about... Were you somebody who found the Americanized initial translation quite jarring? or? Um, if I'm honest, I was just thankful to be playing the game, yeah, to I be honest. I think that's how a lot of us felt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it, it didn't bother me. You know, I, I think it, it tends to have a kind of goofy charm when you get these strange Americanized translations. And I, what I really liked is that... Um, I think Frog in yes. the PS version has is very different. These and thous, yes. Yeah, and I always, I, whenever I re- read his 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 script in in my mind, I always imagined um, he must have, you know Labyrinth with David Bowie. It, it's the <laughs> character who rides the dog with the sword. Oh yes, uh, yes, the little the little night dog. Whatever yeah, is. I just yeah. used to re- read Fox. uh, Frog's voice in his in his voice. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I didn't. It doesn't bother me, you know. I, it's the fact I was able to play the games. Um, but admittedly, sure. I think the DS version is a much stronger translation. It bothered a lot of people enough to translate every line of text in the game. Um, you know, there there are some good, there are some really interesting examples out there. Um, screens of, of printed text with the original, with the Japanese in the middle, with the original Ted Woolsey translation on the left, and then the fan. Trans- translation on the right and there's so much more um there's it's so much more floral florid and and there's so much more depth to it i think it's one of those things that you can if you don't know any better it's fine but i think there i think we did miss out ultimately well no disrespect to ted woolsey but i I imagine budget has a lot to do with it and he was probably quite quite a cheap resource to use i believe so and he did it very quickly as well yeah i imagine he'd love to do a you know a loving and accurate translation of the original Japanese, but he's he's probably against the clock for for not a lot of money. Is a very uh, fair point. Without one, it's, I'm not accusing him of being him yeah. being a hack. By the way, I'm just saying sure. that, you know, no, the reality yeah, is yeah. that probably budgetary constraints. Definitely. Uh, and and I would also point out that this wasn't just a problem in video games. Um, during this period of time, yeah. English translation and English dub for Japanese anime was pretty poor. And um, there were exceptions like Cowboy Bebop, which mm. actually mm. had a really good English translation. But they were the rarities. Thankfully, now it's a lot better for both video games and anime. But yeah, yeah. I think it was just a rough period for Japanese translation in general. Mm. 
So the game was, as we said, ported to uh, the PlayStation. It's interesting now. It feels like it's a kind of different era, but actually the Japanese version of uh, PlayStation Chrono Trigger was only November 99, so it was only four years. The game was only four years old when it first appeared on a 32-bit console on CD. Uh, it took another uh, almost two years to arrive in America. Um, but the issues with that game now, I remember buying it and being very excited to finally get hold of it, as you were, Simon, but mm. playing it on the original hardware... Um, it was, I think it was fair to say it was actually an inferior experience to the SNES version because the loading times were yeah. disruptive. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the same of any, uh, um, with any of those games that moved across from cartridge to disc. Yeah. Um, loading times were a real issue. I think audio improved. Mm-hmm. Everything was less, probably less, a bit less compressed. compressed. Yeah. But yeah, you did have these loading times. Um, it didn't bother bother me too much, you know. I grew up I grew up playing a Spectrum, so yeah, you know, it wasn't that bad. And then uh, when they ported Ogre Battle across, that was uh, yeah, had obscene loading times. So <laughs> you know, relatively speaking, it wasn't too bad. But yeah, you know, if you were to put them side by side, the SNES version is a much much smoother experience yeah and and subsequently the ds version now of course <clears throat> as we said you can buy the uh the psn version in in both J- uh, the japanese and north american um stores sadly again it didn't come to the european store as a few american roms did because of the probably because of the translation factor i guess um but of course with the both playing it on ps3 or vita you can um firstly you're playing from all digital so there's no one-time cd-rom load speeds and also you can actually soup the um use the fast loading option of the emulation software to speed things up further so my hunch is it's less of a it's much less of a difference between say playing the wii uh, virtual console version and the PSN version on PS3. I, I haven't. Mm. I, I'm sure there are comparisons out there on YouTube. So um, yeah, if you're really into that sort of thing, you can seek that out. But yes, in 2008 in Japan and uh, America, we had to wait until uh, three months, two or three months into 2009. Mm. The DS version finally arrived, and yeah, I think um, I think most people would probably call it the definitive version. Um, not only do you have uh, you can pretty much play it exactly as it was on the SNES with the original um, uh, screen furniture and without the touchscreen options, but there's also everything's been optimized for use with the touchscreen. Um, and, yeah, there's no loading times, but you do have the option of the anime FMV. The sound is is d- deliciously crisp, but it still maintains that SNES quality. Uh, yeah, so you've got all the goodness. Uh, you've got you've got that nice uh, nice um, you know uh, you've got the original um, pixel art. I th- I th- my personal preference when playing it on a 3DS is to hold down the select uh, or start doesn't matter and, uh, button until it loads, so it plays in the original um, pixel to pixel ratio, which means yeah. that you get super crisp art. However, if you do play it on a on a 3DS, you can just let it fill the screen and it kind of looks blurry, but it does mean you're getting a fairly authentic uh, interpretation of what the, what it used to look like playing it on a cathode ray tube. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it depends depends what you prefer, bigger, blurrier image or smaller, crisper image. But I certainly, I, I go for the latter. Uh, obviously on a DS, it makes no odds. Um and also the DS version brings in uh, some extras. Uh, you've got a you've got a bestiary and a music player, and um, various other sundry odds and ends um, that you can go in and out of that tie into your save file, uh, movie player, a few other things I've probably forgotten there. But it, overall, I think it's um, 
you know, I think even if you were to really dislike the game, I think it's a lovely package, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, kudos to, uh, are we calling them Tozer? Tozer, the, I think. Tozer, I think I've done brilliantly with it. And I think a lot of their work actually over the last sort of 10 years has been pretty great. Like I know you mentioned um, Val- Valkyrie Profile, but they did the State Star Ocean remakes as well. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, and, and Final Fantasy Tactics. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think they've done a brilliant job. And, I, you know, hope they get to bring some more stuff over to, you know, yeah. 3DS or Vita. Yeah, we haven't seen so much stuff like this recently on on mm. 3DS. This this is now. Yeah, this I remember when this was really exciting that this was coming out on the DS and in all regions. But we haven't had so much stuff kind of in its wake. Um, but I guess it was you know it was perhaps you know the jewel in the crown that was missing from from this region particularly. Um, but yes, you can get it. It came out on iOS in December 2011, um, and Android uh, arrived worldwide later in 2012. Uh, the reviews at the time for the SNES version were pretty spectacular when it first came out. Um, the game rankings average, uh, based on 18 reviews, there may have been many more, uh, is nudging 96%. Um, but the DS version that came out uh, in 2008-9, uh, 50 reviews uh, with an average of just under 92%. So... Um, it hadn't waned. The iOS version score is uh, is noticeably lower. Um, I assume there are there are some issues. So, I think one of the first things about the actual game we need to address is the the concept and the ambition of that concept. So, the key thing is right in the title, Chrono Time. Uh, this is a time traveling adventure and. It's not the only one, but I think it's especially going back twenty years. I think the the ambition of trying to manage these multiple um, maps showing the same area in different eras was um, it would have been I think it would have been a nightmare to make. And I wonder why. Uh, I wonder if that factored into their decision to make it as short as it is. Because, um, you know, Mm. you think about the other JRPGs that came out around this time, Final Fantasy VI, they're considerably longer games. Whereas this game, because there are so many different worlds that you go to, different timelines, I wonder if, like, just... It it just it was taking so much uh, out of them in terms of Uh, development costs. Yeah, well, I think you have to bear in mind that there were, you know... uh, many endings i think there were about 13 different 13 endings. endings yeah yeah um and that encourage replayability so even though maybe from start to finish it's not a long game yeah you could play it through 13 times and have a different experience each time oh, yeah so, I, I, i'm not yeah. i'm not criticizing the game when i when i say it's shorter than and the most jrpgs i i was just wondering kind of whether the the uh the, the decision to go with this kind of multiple timeline mm. thing factored into that choice yeah. just that the amount of time that they had to spend <clears throat> making all of these different areas and yeah and yeah and considering the fact that they they were going for a story that had multiple uh, mul- multiple different paths that it could go down ultimately they just wanted to concentrate on getting what they had uh, really polished and really really well crafted rather than extending it to the lengths of something like Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy VII, where it's like a 60, 70-hour experience. I was just going to... I'd like to think that it was just that they had a, a very strong story that they wanted to yeah. tell. And and 
one of the only examples where a, a JRPG has actually thought, you know, this game will be as long as the story can sustain. Because uh, yes. yeah. a lot, of, you know, I've, I've I've tried many JRPGs and and it's a lot. It's either a mix of difficulty or just sheer boredom that makes me check them in at the end. But yeah. on Chrono Trigger, I, I it, think... was, it was the, the story never lost its intrigue for me. It would be uh, it would be easy, I think, on first playing this game, even even uh, taking into account its uh, its date of birth, as it were, to from from the first few moments think that this was a, you know a n yet another JRPG with all the same tropes. Um, you start in a little twee house in a little twee village with a little spiky haired man who wakes up, and you know it's almost like a you know it's all out the book of JRPG cliches. But and, and there are certain certain elements that it follows, like you know you you don't have freedom of movement uh, around the world for quite a chunk of the game before eventually you get your your wings, as it were, and you're allowed to go anywhere. Um, there's a really interesting article I found uh, by Victoria Earl on Gama Sutra which talks about how uh, Chrono Trigger actually steers you around its its uh, its path by uh, in certain ways and one of the key things and this this was already uh, an innovation compared to previous JRPGs which for technical reasons and of course this carried on with a number of uh, a number of sequels and games including Final Fantasy games was that this game doesn't uh, give you uh, random encounters with invisible monsters on the world yeah. and that is for me is like you know that was one of the things that put certainly put me off jrpgs um and it puts you you know it can put you off exploring i remember playing the first uh playstation star ocean and just within the first few hours of game wandering into an area that i was horribly under leveled for you know and mm. just getting destroyed um you can't really do that in this game. You can you can wander into places that you shouldn't, slightly out of sequence, but it will it will it will tempt you with treasures. But then it will also be saying these monsters are going to be too hard for you at this level, and they stay the same level. The le- the world does not level up with you, so um, that works quite well in that it's it becomes apparent fairly obvious. And of course, another innovation of this game, one of the one of the probably the most famous thing about it is that you can tackle the big bad pretty much from the very start the uh the final boss Lavos um uh but it's uh, the first time you meet him it's unwinnable um is it unwinnable though i i bet people have done it haven't they but um because it, it, but it took me to level up right until the end. But that's unusual. You know, Brian was talking about when we were talking about you know whether whether he could qualify for coming on the show having not finished it. It's like, well, I have seen an ending. It's like, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I didn't but, know what you meant when you said you can complete it one percent into the game, and it was only afterwards. And I was looking up at the different endings. It's like, oh, you, you yeah. just step into the different teleportation device or something, and it yep. takes you yeah. to the final battle. So it's yep. like, all right, that's okay. it. Yeah, um, and you just get wiped, and and then you get to yeah, the the future could not be changed. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Game over. Uh, so you wander around the world map, and there are uh, there are no monsters on the world map. I don't think are there at any point. Um, unlike there, there are some. I remember in some JRPGs, Final Fantasy games, and stuff, you would have like the mm. odd actual visible monster that you you could fight. Um, but when you're in dungeons, um, most of the the monsters are seen just kind of 
ambling about doing their thing. Some of them kind of come off the screen, but normally you, you from off the screen, but you'll see one and then uh, and then you'll you'll enter into a battle with a battle theme. I mean, you know, certain elements of this will be very familiar to anyone who was playing Square games at this point. Um, but it uh, it also opens up probably, I guess, one of the first uh, examples of what is a sort of active time battle to use the Final Fantasy VII parlance in that it's not entirely turn-based and people have different paces and things like that so yeah. people get to you, their moves first and stuff you can you can turn you can turn it off though at any point um yes. and you get to choose at the beginning yeah whether you want to use the active version or the wait version obviously you should go for the active version because it makes things a bit more interesting um, Unless you're I think really was, stuck on a bus in which case you might yeah, want to <laughs> yeah yeah um but I, th- I think it was it was a I think it was Final Fantasy Four that they bought it in for oh, was the first it? Okay. time. Yeah, That's I th- my mistake. I, think I read that somewhere, um, and I think it's been in pretty much every Final Fantasy since. Yeah, and Grandia kind of took it up and ran with it, and you see it in games yeah. like Nino Kuni: Wrath of the White Witch, and it's sort of standard to not have it completely rigid and and whatever. Yeah, um, but it yeah it makes it for it makes for a more dynamic experience and and a, and yeah. a more tense one as well. Um, you know, I, I did play some earlier JRPGs to this, and they tended to be you know in terms of animation, there was very little going on. Um, you know, you would people would not even kind of move to attack; they would pretty much be static. You know, things mm. would flash. Whereas in Chrono Trigger, yes, the animation by by modern standards is simplistic. But it's mm. also highly effective, and uh, you know, you tell Chrono to attack, and he goes in and waves his sword about, and you get a nice crisp, uh, a sword swipey sound effect, and uh, monsters will uh, do sort of screen filling magic attacks that seem to use the. I'm sure they were using the um, the Mode Seven uh, chip and stuff like that to create some pretty sort of outlandish special effects of you know the universe opening up and huge beams of light and explosions and all that sort of thing. So. It become you, you can have these small little melees, but things can quite quickly escalate. Everything about the way the combat is set up in Chrono Trigger feels like it was designed to reduce frustration in a way that I haven't really encountered in a lot of JRPGs. You mentioned the lack of random battles, which I think is really important, because as long as you stay on that area of the map, you can clear out an area and not have mm-hmm. to worry about bumping into more enemies so you can explore to find items and stuff like that. Yeah. But also just the fact that combat and exploration happens on the same screen. It's instantaneous. Like yeah. you're in battle, there's no loading screen, and once the battle's over, you're no right back into in, the action. No change yeah. in art style as per Final Fantasy VII yeah. with its multiple art styles, yeah. Yeah, and and that really helps because it makes it feel a lot pacier. It feels like you're tight, you know, you're not being interrupted in the same way you feel like you are in, say, Final Fantasy VII. It, it it's it's a clever uh, and economical kind of use of um, the assets they had uh, to reduce uh, a lot of the time spent in loading screens and and just faffing about with enemies when you're trying to find an item or a key or anything like that, when you just want to get to the next area, but mm. no, you bump into another enemy. Um, I... I, I I'm quite frankly a little bit shocked that a lot of games that came out after this, and and I mean like 20 years after this game, still aren't 
using the the techniques that uh, Chrono Trigger implemented. Like, mm. I mean, I, I, I think Lost Odyssey is a very, very good game, but it still falls on, you know, the whole random battle trope and, and loading into a different screen for the battles and all of that stuff. Um, it, it, it seems really strange to me that Chrono Trigger ultimately wasn't really like a revolution in terms of design it was more of a sidestep that everyone ignored yeah i mean i i, I agree with you josh i mean i i found the the fact there were no random encounters really useful later on in the game when i needed yeah. to grind yeah yeah i'm I'm not adverse to grinding it's a fairly cathartic experience at times but um when you just wanted to go right i want to get to this place where i know there's a lot of high xp enemies i can get there really quickly you just go there and you could sort of manage your grinding. Whereas like just for saying you play another JRPG with random encounters and you just get yourself bogged down in a particular area, you drain all your um, MP points Mm -hmm. and run out of ethers or whatever the the magic potions are called in that particular game. Mm. And it can get quite frustrating. Whereas I found in this, it was much easier to, to, to to manage what you were trying to do, what we were trying to achieve, particularly later on in the game when it's like, right, I know I probably need to be around this level. I need to go here to do that, and I I can do that quickly. So Brian, you got stuck, uh, or or you know frustrated to the point of not wanting to continue yeah. at, at a point. We we talked about it, and I was saying that, um, you know, I don't think it's in, it's absolutely uh, smooth. But I think as far as JRPGs go, Chrono Trigger requires a relatively low amount of grinding to progress. It's not one of those games where it will absolutely stop you rigid because. Well, I, I described to you the, the bosses as a kind of puzzle in that there's usually a combination of characters and moves that will see you through. So mm. you had a day of banging your head against a particular boss, but then you came back to it the next day and with new resolve? Yeah, well, uh, well, I mean, it wasn't just resolve. It was also a help of a, a walkthrough guide that uh, gave me a little bit of an indication <laughs> yeah, of what enough. to do. Uh, but the... Um, uh, yeah, it was it was that, and I think that's what. Uh, so the the boss was this uh, character Giga Geiger, I think is was the name, mm. um, or Giga Gaia, uh, and it was the, I think it was the first boss encounter where it basically just hits you with really strong attacks from the off and yeah. wipes out your party or wipes out certain characters of your party, and it was just trying to figure just trying to figure that out. And I thought to, I said to you, I thought you know, I, it looks like I'm going to have to go back and grind and grind. But it, it wasn't that. It's it, the way, when you described it as a puzzle, it was bang on because that's exactly what it was. As soon as I figured out what uh, you know, what spell or what uh, t- uh, technique to use to give myself a window for whether it be healing or attacking or whatever it might be, that was it. And it became pretty smooth sailing after that. I, you know, I, I think it was maybe five or six more goes around getting progressively better each time and then i'd sort of nailed it so <laughs> and interestingly you actually did for lavos with less trouble than i did yeah well uh, i but then i think because i did the uh, this is one thing actually you did say that there's not a lot of grinding and i would kind of agree with you because i think it dresses up grinding very well as as kind of that there's plenty of story beats in the grind if you like that you know the side quests mm. and the um the sort of bits i some of the bits i did was on the ds they have the oh I can't remember lost something or another. Uh, there's a basically I think just at one point these two sort of beams of light open up on the map and it's a bit that they've added there and you go mm. back to this sort of like uh, oh, the, rep- the lost sanctum. That's it, lost sanctum. Yeah, and then this is the reptite kingdom or the sort mm. of uh, the, the remains of the reptite kingdom and you can go there and do little missions for those and some of those were uh, 
bit hard, you know, beyond me, let's say, but there was enough there that I could level up a bit more and uh, and progress through and didn't, I didn't actually, yeah, I didn't do the Black Omen. I just, not because I didn't think I needed to, I just thought I'd give it a go, try trying uh, with going direct to Lavos and managed to get to the final form on the first go. So I thought, well, I, you know, I'll just keep, <laughs> I'll keep pressing ahead on this. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I found even with the, uh, we'll talk about techs now. Um, so techs are your magic spells in this game. They're absolutely crucial to playing the game. They're, they also look, you know, cool in, in that they're more visually spectacular than just punching or swiping or shooting things with a crossbow. Um, you kind of learn and earn uh, multiple character techniques by using different combinations of characters, which is an interesting kind of meta game in itself. And a lot of the best ones are kind of, um, you know, saved up. Um, but I had, you know, I, I fairly, um, by the time I, I was first fighting, uh, you know, hitting the latter game, all my characters had 999, which is the maximum amount of hit points. And I was using Cure Wind, uh, which is a, a dual tech using uh, the princess character Mal and uh, the heroic uh, amphibian knight Frog or Glenn um, and that would heal the entire party for 999 every time but even with that uh, there were some attacks uh, it it was really the thing there's the occasional attack that does over a thousand points of damage Mm. Um, so fighting uh, the final boss in particular but I think some of the other bosses as well they they can occasionally do an attack which which is more mm. more than the hit points you can have. Although there are probably ways of limiting though that with certain armors and things. But um, once you're out of sequence uh, in terms of not being able to heal before the next thing, and this yeah. is where your character um, your speed comes into play. Um, it, 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 you can basically get knocked out of whack. So there's there's you know one character's getting down, so you can't do the dual technique, and then you can't carry on attacking because you need to revive the character who's down, and so on. And then it can get to the point where you, you can't uh, carry on. But again, I always felt like maybe if I was just being a bit more clever, I could have done it at a lower level. I didn't have to grind mm-hmm. to level fifty mid, fifty mid, whatever to to kill it. You certainly get trapped in a loop sometimes of just yeah. mega elixir after mega elixir and then you know bumping down and yeah and the go. high end items are very limited yeah. throughout the game yeah and then you uh, end up yeah you, know, you burn the, it through all that shops only sell you up to the really quite mediocre um, ethers and things elixirs which give you uh, you know a certain amount you can buy shelters which are one of the key items in the game which work in the same way as tents in Final Fantasy so if you find a, a save point on the map you can use a tent and get everything back so it's well worth stocking up with those and generally the game's fairly kind about giving save points before bosses yeah Except um, for yeah. the final battle, where they have the two yeah. forms and they don't bother giving you the. Yeah, I mean that's that was a real. I found that a real slog. Yeah. Um, the the last the last battle, it's I think because you, you you take down his shell, that Lavos's shell. Yeah, that then, can be yeah. done separately. You can do that, yeah. and then you can save that state. But then there's yeah. two more forms after that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I bounced off that a couple of times, and um, it took me a few uh, a lot of head scratching and tweet uh, mucking around with which lineup I was going to use. Uh, and then I think I ended up and grinding, probably over grinding a little bit. Yeah. Um, to, to actually just make it a lot easier. Cause you're right. If you get out of sync, it's just, it becomes impossible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you just, I, I made sure, I think I used, um, uh, Marl as my healer and, um, all she did was heal and buff, heal and buff. Yeah. Uh, every turn. Cause it was just, cause I think Lavis has got that, what like you say, he's got that one attack, that complete, complete can completely 
screw up your entire battle. Yeah, Lavos has the powers. Like the whole the whole mm. thing about Lavos is he's the big bad who you know he's basically going to um he's kind of yeah like a sort of devil figure monster, but he's also absorbing all the uh, he has all the knowledge and power of all the other monsters in the game. Basically, all the other all the other um, bosses, particularly, and he shifts through time and does attacks of all the other monsters you fought. Yeah. Um, and the last form of, of Lavos, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here, but it, it's it's relevant to the combat section because it's the bits you kind of get stuck on. Really, are these are these um, these bosses? The 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 final form is a kind of it plays a little bit of a trick in you in that it's a, there's a humanoid figure in the center of the screen, and then it's got pods left and right. And actually, the left pod um, is has got very low hit points by you know by the end of game standards of only two thousand, but it heals the other forms. And it's actually the right-hand pod is the key to winning the game because it's got like 90,000 hit points or something. So it's about, uh, it's that sort of tactical management. But I think one of the interesting things about the game, the reason that even above, away from all the, um, you know, the lovely characters and the beautiful settings and the, and the music, which we'll talk about, there is a deep um, kind of turn-based puzzle strategy RPG combat game in there and yeah. I, th- I suspect that we all use different combinations of characters and techniques throughout the entire game and there are certain sections where you can find secrets by being in a certain group having a certain combination of characters I mean it's like um, it's like Dragon Age Origins in the sense that there's a lot of scenes where obviously I should say Dragon Age Origins is like Chrono Trigger in that there's loads of places where you'll only get certain conversations if you've got certain people with you um, yeah. and things like that and so even if unless you play this game through dozens and dozens of times and New Game Plus allows this we'll talk about that later um everyone's experience is going to be slightly different because there are different even there are different emotional elements to different quests depending on who you've got with you at a particular point um but i wonder uh for me um as much as i i think i had a fondness for all the main characters equally really i like them all um i think maybe maybe mar was slightly less interesting to me but i i really like luca frog and robo um uh, and i did i never got magus actually so that's that's probably Mm. explains some of my missing uh content on my um my extras screen but I probably still generally picked characters by by technique and move by capability mm. rather than character. Um, what about what about you, chaps? Yeah, well, well, I mean, obviously, Chrono, you could you had to have him in your team to do all the triple techs. Yeah, so he he had to be in his squad really. Yeah, and he was probably on the face of it the least interesting mm-hmm. character. He kind of he was you know he was a cipher. He did this sort of the Gordon Freeman link job. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I mean, on the surface, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to go into this, but obviously there's this whole thing about it being a uh, analogous to the Bible and Chrono being Jesus. Mm. Uh, and, and when you dig into that, I mean, that's a real rabbit hole you can go down. But the whole thing about when he does any special moves, he makes a, a sort of a, a crucifix sign. Um, and a lot of the stuff <laughs> shows that how in- shows how um, how much I lean towards that sort of thing. I didn't notice that in <laughs> no. forty hours yeah. over six years. Yeah, yeah. And if you, I mean, I, I didn't know. I mean, when I played it, I, this is stuff I, I it went over my head, and it was only I think there was a video, a game theory video, a couple of years ago where they went into it, mm. and they were sort of pointing out that you know every character in the game is analogous to either someone in the Bible yeah. or in Greek mythology. Um, mm. Like Robo is Lazarus, right? 
yeah, um, yeah. and also he's he also plays a part of Prometheus, yes, from Greek mythology. Yeah. Um, That's his actual look, name in in his side quest is revealed as Prometheus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is so. It is. They Krona does become quite interesting. I mean, they 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 talk about the trial. Yeah, um, oh. that's analogous to um, the trial, Jesus trial with Pontius Pilate. Yeah, um, huh. uh, and uh, is it the 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 three the made the the three gurus um, who basically have uh, they they have to share the same names as the Magi from oh, right, the okay. Nativity story. Can't believe I missed all this. This is cool. Yeah, <laughs> it's mad. And like basically, there's the three key items from the game, like the you know the the egg, the chrono trigger, are all held by those individuals. Um, yeah. So obviously, yeah. those items are analogous to gold, frankincense, and myrrh. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's if you if you go onto the internet and look, it's it, fascinating. Literally every character in the game. Um, is the equivalent of, of a character so you, in the Bible. So, would you, having having looked into this, w- would you say that this was uh, this was planted in there deliberately by the authors, uh, or, or is it one of these? Uh, are we retrofitting? I, no, I think I think it is because if you look at the development team and the, particularly uh, the writer who went on to work on Xenogears, mm-hmm. um, Xenogears is massively rich in um, sort of religious and philosophical Im- uh, imagery, yeah. and it's it. it, it after playing that, you could see that it was probably the the next sort of evolutionary step as far as the writer was going about what he was trying to get across in uh, in the game. And um, I hope Josh will agree. There's in a lot of anime, they, they, they sort of a, particularly um, right, you, you got to correct me on my pronunciation. Neon Genesis Evangelion is that right? Yeah, that's quite. That's yeah, yeah, that's right. There's a lot of religious imagery in that, and I think that the, the uh, Japanese do like. I do have a, a fascination with um, with with Christian imagery throughout their sort of popular culture. That yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting though. Yeah. I, I mean, I, <laughs> when I play these games and, and one of the things I really enjoyed about playing Chrono Trigger, albeit over an extended period of time was being back in those in, in there's something hugely warm and comforting about, for me about that era of RPG. I don't know if it's whether, whether it's, you know, nostalgic feelings for being in my twenties or whether it's just that there's something about, there's something about the fact that it's not um, photorealistic representational mm. art. The fact that you have these these sort of um, yeah, I don't know, a, a simplistic, almost cartoonish sort of representations, but but they do still have um, emotion and atmosphere in in spades. And um, and I was not, I was so I probably was being oblivious to to that 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 level of it, that reading of it, because I'm just kind of thinking. Hey, it's one of those. It's one of those really cool, cute, sixteen-bit Japanese fantasy worlds. <laughs> missing the really obvious uh, Bible allegory, smashing me around the face. <laughs> well, I don't think it's obvious no. from the outset. I mean, I was in the same boat as you, Leon. I, I played it. I enjoyed it for what mm. it was, which was, you know, it's a, a classic JRPG, which is, you know, a group a group of characters who bond over time and go on a massive quest, and it it makes you feel warm inside. For me, I, I, the I didn't really focus on on Chrono much at all. I've, it it felt like the story was the story of Frog and Magus. Mm. That was the kind of that felt like the mm. heart of the story for me. Uh, and he, you know, he, uh, certainly for the early part, he is a very central character and finding you know his his sword and him sort yeah. of growing comfortable in this idea of him becoming a hero or being a hero. Uh, that that just yeah. that to me felt. Uh, Felt felt like the where the focus was 
or certainly where my attention was 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 paid uh, to the story. So yeah, so the whole sort of Chrono Christ analogy didn't really didn't really present itself, but then I wasn't, I suppose, paying attention to it. I I, I mean, speaking personally, and and I'm sure Leon will agree with me. I, I feel like Chrono is kind of essential for my enjoy like my overall enjoyment of this game, simply because he is a silent protagonist. And I find um, and have found with stuff like Half-Life 2 and uh, other games that I am able to put myself in that role of that person if the protagonist is silent. So I didn't even Mm. really think of Chrono as Chrono. I thought of him as me and he was my... uh, cipher you know my my character suit to wear to interact with this world and uh, and these characters and um it's it's a large part of the reason why i i ended up being as as attached to these characters as i ended up being is because i felt like i was interacting with them they're my friends yeah yeah exactly yeah Yeah. Um, Yeah, and i think that's i think that's one of the highlights of the game actually is the yeah the warmth that's generated through the characters. Mm. I don't think I've played many other J- JRPGs, and I've played quite a few that where I've actually felt such sort of uh, you know attachment to the characters. Yeah, you know, like um, like Frog in particular is arguably my all-time favourite JRPG character, yeah. mm-hmm. and I have a phobia of frogs in real life. <laughs> that's um, weird. That's really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, um, just because he's you know he's great. You know, I'd. I'd it, it, you know, the, the great frogs in popular culture it's like kermit toad a toad hall he's a toad but you know what yeah. i mean and 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 frog yeah yeah yes he's a, a legendary character uh literally and metaphorically and in a way i yeah. was kind of thinking i don't know he's so goody goody and so humble and so and i was thinking is this just like am i just falling for this is this manipulative or, I mean, I suppose all, all storytelling is to a point and, and, but I was just thinking, I don't care. I love him. I love frog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love Robo as well in a yeah. similar way, but somehow there's something more mm. Ro- Robo is Robo is, uh, is a Robo and, uh, he is also selfless and heroic, but there's something about the extra level of tragedy in Glenn's story that, that makes you mm. warm to him even more. And mm. I, and I do prefer, I th- personally, I prefer the, the retranslation where he doesn't, uh, where he does, they don't overdo the, um, the nightiness of his speech. Yeah. 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 Robo's quite a sad character though, yeah, isn't he? Cause, yeah. uh, he ends up destroying his best friend and his creator to help his new friends. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you do? Uh, did you do the mother brain? Yes, uh, did that just yeah. uh, last night and this morning. His his dungeon actually is one of the most complex um, pe- pieces mm. of the game. Whereas uh, you know a lot of the dungeons are traditional, fairly linear. I mean, this game does have bits, uh, interesting bits with involving switches and sort of little limited, almost Zelda-ish type of puzzles, but not quite. Um, mm. And rooms that you can see but you can't get to, and secret bits in the walls, and all you know, all these exploration bits. But but Robo's dungeon, you have to um, you really go around the houses to to solve all the puzzles in there, and then you have to kind of go into these one this one door to electrify yourself, and then run up to us, and like you've got a timed bit where you have to run to get to another door, and it becomes quite involved. And mm. I did use a guide because I, I don't think I ever would have got through that well. 
maybe ever, but I don't think I would have got through it in time without without some help because it's quite complex in there. But yes, in I, I probably wasn't taking enough time over the story because I was running out of time. But um, but yeah, once again, uh, it was the bit it was the bit where he just says. I'll just tend this forest for 400 years. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I, he goes, hey, I've got a plan. Like, you can't do this because you're humans. But if you leave me here in 600 AD and just yeah. a moment will pass for you and you come back and find him 400 years later and he's kind of, he's in a, he's basically been enshrined in a sort of church and worshipped for his work over the last 400 years. It's like, that is so cool. Mm. And a bit yeah. sad again. But, but how <laughs> how confident must the, the, the designers been in their, in their game to, to, to bury all this great stuff as optional side quests at the end yeah. of the game? I mean, it's just, because yeah. I would have really <laughs> hated myself if I had given up, had you had not pushed me to, to finish it and mm. missed out on all of that, because that was... That was the heart of the game, really. Those last, those last few optional missions, and just have... every character's side quest, mm, yeah. I think, is like the main story. As I say, because especially the way in which you can interact with it, i.e., you know, attempt it from pretty much from the off or, or whatever. Um, obviously, there has to be some over overreaching overarching um, doom scenario. There has to be, you know, it's like Damocles' sword hanging over the the. the the future it's it's like majora's mask as well of course i mean that i i imagine majora's mask is influenced by by chrono trigger's scenario as well um you know it kind of goes even further with the whole time travel thing but um it's actually those side quests which like you say i think they're they're really the heart and that's there's also where you get to know the most about those characters and yeah i mean you've obviously to to get to that point you have to have spent a certain amount of time with them already but um but I think, yeah, they, they, the, those are the bits which actually tell you the, um, tell you their story. And there are some really nice, yeah, as you say, completely missable, skippable, optional scenes. Mm. Yeah. And I, I really love that the game strikes a good balance between emotional poignancy and just warm humour. Mm. Um, it doesn't mm. feel the need to lean heavily into either. Um, it and the game can get dark and the game can get silly, but it doesn't feel unnatural when it does that. Mm. It, it just feels kind of just part of the flow of the experience, and um, I, it, I, it was a really welcome kind of tonal change of uh, of pace uh, compared to a lot of uh, JRPGs that I've played in the past. Um, I'm I'm thinking of stuff like uh, Lost Odyssey, which kind of which I think is a good game, but it kind of maintains this very somber. Mm. A depressing tone for, throughout the entire experience mm. and, yeah. and and a lot yeah. of people love that mm. but i i think i appreciated that chrono trigger wasn't afraid to vary it up just go, go have these you know hilarious scenes where the characters are drinking this soup and and getting like it looks like they're getting a hangover from the soup or what have you uh, yeah and um uh, but then go to you know to moments with frog where he's coming to terms with of what happened to him and you know the life he has to leave now uh you know the life he has to lead now like it, it just if it, it's very different in tone but like it still feels natural it it doesn't ever feel like it's jarring wildly into one kind of area of storytelling to another it all mm. flows really well mm. that uh, magus's side quest is is an outright slapstick humor i think the um yeah yeah the bit where you're fighting through the, the the castle and then right at the end and the the, the big boss essentially one hit and he drops down a pit and i i went back and forth 
through the castle thinking, oh, maybe I've got to go and find him somewhere else and have this big battle. But no, it was just this little silly moment where uh, they just drop the what is meant to be the uh, the the big bad down a hole and and you're done. It's fantastic, I thought. So, um, Magus or Magus, whatever. Um, he's the he's the one optional character who you can fail to mm. recruit. Um, a la people will probably know Vincent or uh, Yuffie in um, Final Fantasy VII. Um, I failed to recruit him, and I can't remember how or why because it was probably about two thousand and ten. But um, I, did you kill him? Uh, probably. Yeah. Because you can have I a got, fight with he, Frog and Magus. Yeah. Yeah, I I always recruit him because I think he's a great character. Yeah, I kind of feel sad he's that I of, didn't. I don't think I knew that he was recruitable. You know. Yeah, he's because he's 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 striving for the same ends as you and the you know the rest of the team, just taking a slightly mental approach to yeah. it. Um, and he's kind of you know when he finally joins up with the team, it's sort of begrudgingly. Mm. Um, but I think it's great he has this kind of redemption if you save him halfway through the game or three quarters of the way through the game. How did the, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you'll remember individual playthroughs or whether you've done it on repeat. We'll talk about New Game Plus, as I say, which um, opens up uh, an enormous amount of possibilities. But um, did any of the rest of you have uh, work punched in the gut when Chrono uh, apparently was lost in, in the game as, as I was? Because it really did throw me like, uh, even though you know, I know obviously everyone knows about certain bits of other games where, in RPGs, where main characters are suddenly taken away, but I was just not ready for this at all. Yeah, I really didn't see it coming because he, you know, he's set up as being, you know, like we've said before, he's kind of almost a, a cliche as far as JRPG characters go, and you know, you expect him to win through, be the one who drags everyone through to the you know to the happy ending at the end and when they when they when he gets basically evaporated yeah. it does pull the rug from under your feet um yeah I, th- I think i was in the same boat as elio and it's like well what's going on here i mean did I, you just pick it up I, and carry straight on though unlike me i was, who compelled, was, like, I was compelled to see <laughs> i was compelled to see how they were going to resolve yeah. it rather than rather than um think no i'm not going to carry on because i'd not seen anything like that happen before in a in a game so it was yeah fascinating i i i had a similar reaction to simon in that it did catch me off guard. Yeah. But after that, I was like, I need to find Chrono. Like, he's not dead. Yeah, I need yeah. to seek him out. Um, and, I, you know, I it turned out turned out my hunch was correct. Like, he, he you can get him back. And it, and, yeah, yeah. Although, but I, I still think it's, I think it's really interesting that you don't have to get him back. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you can complete the game without getting Chrono back. And yeah, good luck I, with I that. I never, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think it, it's not the best way to complete the game, but like it's one of many. I, res, I respect the decision to include that as an option for the players because yeah. a lot, a lot of, I mean, something similar-ish happens in uh, Final Fantasy VII where uh, Sid kind of takes over as the leader for a while, whereas Cloud has gone missing. Um, but ultimately, you have to, you know, you 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 recruit Cloud back into the group, and and everything's hunky dory. But in this game, it, it if if you if you don't play your cards right, you can just like Chrono's just dead for the rest of the game. And <laughs> I, I really respect that narrative choice. It, I I think it took it took a lot of bravery to commit to commit to that kind of design uh, design decision. Uh, 
one thing I do still I still find myself enjoying now I don't think I've I've played a lot more JRPGs than I've completed but I've I've now if I thought think back I've I've completed a number um not as many as I'd have liked but we all know how demanding they are but something that I still find myself enjoying even though it's kind of exactly the same in every in every one I I was really enjoying this in Nino Kuni uh last uh, year before last is the um the ever incremental slightly improving your equipment and armor set game um yeah you know exactly how it works if you played these games before um every so often you get into a new area where there are some slightly better things to put on to your characters but it makes yeah. a satisfying uh, sound effect when you when you apply it to your character and then later on you end up with a huge amount of um accessory items earrings and studs and and um hat not hats and various other accoutrements anyway which you can in your inventory which you can um uh, apply so they'll give you like reduced um reduced magic point usage or or whatever and things and then it become again that that plays into feeds into the the tactical um strategic element the puzzle element of of the the turn based fighting um does everyone else get into that as i do yeah yeah I every jrp well every yeah. role playing game yes. that's part of what the enjoyment of playing those type of games is it's you know it's the loot it's the mm. You know, it's it's addictive. It is, yeah. It's it's a, it's a very you can see you're being played by the game, and you know yeah. you know that it's a completely kind of it's, it's just like it's it's written by a formula, um, but that doesn't stop you thinking, oh, plus two more on my sword, I'm going to be able to kill those monsters much easier now, hmm. and yeah. um, and so on, so forth. Uh, I just like shops. Like shops are great in yeah. games wherever they are. Yeah. Like I uh, just and and yeah, I I know it I know the game is playing me, but it's just it's a kind of manipulation that I'm okay with. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. think the one thing that JRPGs have going for them over sort of western RPGs is that they they're they're actually a lot more streamlined, I guess, in the in the options that you can have to equip your mm. characters. Especially yeah, you'll from go this era. Yeah, well, you'll go to a store, won't you, and they'll have one or two hats but they'll only fit certain characters and then you know yeah. once you buy them that's it and and there's there's less i, f- I find myself spending less time umming and ahhing over which bit to equip to who and yeah, what, and yeah. What status it's analysis paralysis there's yeah, yeah. The, and and always and it still always almost always seems to manage to to make it so that you just haven't quite got enough money to get all the best items yeah. for all of your parties yeah. which encourages mm. you to do a little bit of grinding which will mean that you're just slightly leveled up for the next bit and and so it goes on but mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i think that's i think that's um clever on the part of developers because it's it's about balancing isn't yeah. it I'd I'd rather I'd rather developers did that and kind of you know dangle a carrot rather than say, right your your five levels less than not do it and say your five levels less than you should be now just go and kill a load of enemies until you are yeah. that that high, you know it's, yeah. it's about balancing isn't it yeah um and you know this again this game being twenty years old on a on a sixteen bit system there is literally no visual alteration to to um mm. to what you're looking at. Um, you have uh, you have uh, four slots or whatever it is in your inventory. You apply things to them. They have slightly different names. They have you know as you go on, they start getting cool names. Like instead of it being a you know a leather jerkin or whatever, it becomes ruby armor or you know something like that. But yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting. We haven't covered too many JRPGs on Kane and Rinse, so we haven't had 
chance to talk about some of these um, these conventions. So <laughs> it's quite nice. The, the reason we haven't done too many JRPGs is, I'd say, fairly obvious um, in that it's very hard to complete a game a week <laughs> when one of them's a JRPG. But um, we get a lot of requests and it's nice to talk about some of these things, which Chrono Trigger does have for all its invention and originality. It also has a load of things that you would absolutely expect to see in a 20-year-old 16-bit mm. JRPG, but they're really comforting. Yeah, well, you still see them now, don't you? So, oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, JRPGs uh, is, uh, in 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 themselves are probably one of the is probably one of the s- slowest moving, evolving genres in a way, and, yeah. and and I think that's entirely it because it services its conservative fan base, conservative with a small C. Yeah, we sat that they they say, isn't it, that a lot of Japanese gamers like experiences that remind them of their youth. And that's why the popular genres in Japan tend not to evolve yeah. as quickly. You know, you could probably say it's the same with um, genre we like, Leon, which is you know, shoot 'em ups. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's in the same same kind of category, really. It almost feels a bit of a uh, slightly an idiosyncratic uh, genre now to to be to be into, and it's because I think because the, the the people who they aim the games at like that familiarity. One thing we have yet to properly address is, uh, I think, one of the most important things for my Chrono Trigger experience, and that is the soundtrack. Yeah. So uh, there were three people actually contributed. Um, so uh, I don't know exactly who did what, but I do know that Yasunori Mitsuda is the main man. It was his first ever game, I believe, his first or his first soundtrack anyway. Um, he went on to work on Xenogears, um, a couple of Mario Party games, oddly. Um, he's now doing the uh, Inazuma 11 JRPG football series on, on uh, handhelds. Mm-hmm. And he's also done uh, Soul Sacrifice Delta even more recently. Um, the legendary uh, Final Fantasy man, uh, Uematsu-san, uh, mm-hmm. did some of it. And then there's uh, a lady called Noriko Matsueda. Um, who's probably best known for Front Mission and Final Fantasy X-2 also contributed some tracks, but I don't know. I don't know who did what. All I know is that um, uh, Yasunori Mitsuda's soundtrack is is one of seems to be one of the most beloved of uh, of the genre and certainly of the era. Yeah, he's got a he's got an absolutely stellar track record. Like, like well, like you said, we also did um, the first well the first two Shadow Hearts games, mm. which have um, particularly the first game has an exceptional soundtrack. Um, yeah, it's great. I think it it's nice and varied. I think the last time I was on this show, we talked about uh, Fire Emblem, mm. and the the soundtrack was fairly generic mm. sounding. Yeah. Um, there wasn't anything that stuck out. Whereas whereas this, whenever I hear a piece of music from Chrono Trigger, mm. I know exactly whereabouts mm. on the map that's from and from what time. Yeah. Um, and it you know it evokes the uh, you know the, the personalities of the the characters. It helps bring those through. Um, obviously, there's the the famous music for Robo, which is which the same chord sequence as "Never Going to Give You Up" by Rick Astley. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a absolutely cracking soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. You like it, Josh? Yeah, I I I think you could do an entire sound of play episode just using Chrono Trigger music. Um, it's that varied and that uh, consistently good all we the way will through. Have, uh, the day after this podcast goes up, so probably by the time many people are listening to it, there will be a guest music Monday feature um, by uh, Glenn Watts. 
um, a game developer himself who uh, contacted me to say that he wanted to specifically write about um, the music of Chrono Trigger. He's, he's also uh, contributed to this podcast by saying, this game is a starting point for one of my favorite video game composers, Yasunori Mitsuda, and the team that made uh, Trigger would go on to make Xenogears, which is probably my favorite video game of all time. Um, but yeah, there's so many tracks which which I, I just love. I think you know, I did, for me, it doesn't get much better than the um, the slightly melancholic um, overworld theme that starts playing as soon as you leave the first area. Yeah. Uh, I just absolutely love that piece of music. And I was I was going through YouTube this afternoon, just looking at some live performances, and and it really stands up to being fully uh, you know instrumented as well you know uh orchestrated and and whatever or in some case you know with the leads played with diff- totally different instruments the ones you might expect like in the obviously in the game it uses the old uh, snes sound chip or snes style on the ds um but mm. you can play these melodies with violin or with saxophone or clarinet and and they still uh they still resonate yeah absolutely i would also recommend people seek out um, Smooth McGroove's version oh, yeah. of Cor- Corridors of Time mm. uh, because I, I genuinely think that's one of the best uh, versions of that piece of music, uh, weirdly enough. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I needed to mention Corridors of Time because I, I think not only is that a great track, but it's really different from um, what you'd expect from the genre. Um, it doesn't go for the kind of epic kind of scale that a lot of JRPGs go for. Uh, and mm. I'm thinking of the likes of Final Fantasy VII here. Yeah. It's it's much more um, just a lot of the choices in terms of like the percussion and 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 all of that are just are more exciting and and and, and, and interesting and different and yeah and and you can see that throughout the entire game but like corridor corridors of time kind of stands out as the track where i'm like that doesn't sound like anything that uh anything a, another jrpg would use in its soundtrack mm. it, it's really unique Brian, are you a fan of the music? I am actually. I've I've, I've struggled talking about video game music on, on yeah. these podcasts before because I don't I don't think I really pay enough attention to it. But mm. this was the I was actually going through it and when, when playing the game, I thought you know this this there's plenty of tracks here that I would happily go on to uh, Sound of Play to talk about because um, I, I think my favourite was the is the the future mm-hmm. uh, the twenty two thousand three hundred. Uh, overworld yeah. theme I, I i love the atmosphere of that uh, mm. and also the it's a very little a few few little bits the the sort of triumphant bit that you get when you uh, is it, is it the bike race where you um uh in, in the future oh, lab 32. yeah and then yeah. You, and then when when you win that you get the sort of like sort of triumphant music that plays i love that that always brought a smile to my face and just at the beginning in the festival that you have the little bit with the wrapping ro- robot Oh yeah, and yeah. then the and then the, on the other side of the festival, there's the uh, prehistoric rhythm, and, and oh, the, yeah. the bits where you can yeah. dance along to the to the uh, to yes, the soundtrack. Sort of almost like a quick time event, yeah. rhythm action kind of thing where you get to play along. Yeah, yeah, just oh, really, but, but really distinctive pieces and um, and very memorable. So yeah, maybe maybe on another uh, sound of playing future. 
Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the epoch music always, I always join in with the percussion on, on, in the air on that one. It's yeah. just something super catchy about it. Um, we had another, uh, post to the forum specifically about the music from Alisteradon, who says it has been many years since I last played through this magnificent time travel adventure. But the one thing that has stuck in my memory more than anything else is the music by Yasunori Mitsuda. He apparently went to Square's president at the time, Hironobu uh, Sakaguchi, and threatened to quit unless they let him compose. Sakaguchi relented and gave him the job, and what a fantastic job he did, literally pushing himself to the limit to prove he was good enough with some beautiful and atmospheric themes. It's this sense of boldness and confidence that defines Chrono Trigger for me. Writing a story with so many endings is a bold design choice that's not easy to pull off and can significantly increase development costs, and yet they did it, and they did it with style those endings then yeah so not only are there 13 endings but actually they can even within 13 endings there are variants i believe because of uh you know subtle elements that you may have changed so depending on whether you've defeated black omen which is this large uh ship which arrives at i can't remember exactly what point in the story um but that you can take it down in one of three points in history but if you take it down in the latest point that it appears you can go back and do it twice more for 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 laughs for lols and levels um but the 13 endings uh are a broad uh there there is there is a broad variety and as i say subtlety within them um depending on whether you have well there's all sort it's it's there's too much to really kind of go into it's so deep and complex and normally i would say oh well there's no point in having 13 endings to a to a game that's at least 30 hours long but the new game plus solves that problem basically Mm. Mm. um now my ending i understand was uh is called beyond time and uh it's the one if you have um got chrono back and uh killed off dark omen and uh, various other things so it's you know it's a pretty good ending because i in the end i did do most of the stuff but there are all sorts of other um options including one where if you finish quite early in the game and haven't defeated the uh, sort of reptilian boss from the past um at the end all your uh, everyone who's left in the world has become a reptite things like this so um yeah, I quite yeah, like the idea yeah. of that one. There's some of yeah. them sound very, yeah. very amusing. Very, oh, it definitely adds to the replay value. I would have said. Yeah, I um I, the the first time I played it through on the PlayStation, I got the um and bear in mind I've got this fear of frogs. I got the ending where, uh, Marl is part frog. <laughs> she finds out that she's somehow related to frog and is at the end is just she just ribbits and pops <laughs> off into the distance. <laughs> Yeah, I think I got that one, and when I played it on the DS last time, I got the uh, the one where they float up on the balloons, which is a nice oh. ending. Uh, which going back to the uh, biblical references, apparently is about is uh, his uh, Chrono's ascension uh, yeah, to yeah. the heavens. Apparently, in all the endings, uh, Chrono always ascends to the sky, which is um, mm. supposed to be fairly symbolic. <laughs> That's superb, uh, Josh. Endings? Anything to add? <laughs> Um, not really. I, I only ever got the one ending, uh, and it was the same one you got, Beyond Time, mm. which seemed like the... the I, I, I was pretty satisfied with that ending. It seemed like the canon ending where everything goes mm. right and everything's yeah. awesome and great. But uh, I, I'm I'm amazed that there are this many endings, to be honest, mm. um, especially for a game where... I mean, I, I, I didn't feel like there were 
points in the game where it felt like it was telling me that there was going to be this major narrative uh uh, choice or anything like that it doesn't flag yeah, that stuff right. it yeah. just lets it happen and it and it, it when i'm looking at i'm just i've got them up on my on my screen now just looking at all the different variations it's really mm. crazy um yeah. and and i respect their restraint and not flagging this um mm. because a, a lesser developer would have just said it by the way if you don't do this yeah. something really you might want to save like you might want to do that because this will dramatically change the end yeah. no it just it all flows really naturally and i i really respect uh what they managed to do here yeah i, th- I agree with josh it's, it's very organic the way it does mm. it and yeah I think it, I, you know, I don't, I've never felt compelled to go back and as much as I love the game to go back and see every ending mm. because the, I mean, the endings I've had, they've felt quite personal. It's been about my yeah. personal yeah. journey through the game and that ending always seemed right. Um, and yeah, I think it's a way of make, making each experience for each person. Yeah, different I agree. And a personal experience. I, I think uh, my, my, uh, much as I'm um, loathe to do this, um, I'm going to liken this uh to what uh that that genius auteur david cage said about heavy rain in the i think that's that's what you're getting at the idea that you play it through once and that's your story um and obviously the the new game plus uh throws a spanner in that theory but um you know they've added in on the ds version the ending collector basically so you can you know once you've finished it once it gets added to your your kind of roster of things you can look at but here's the here's the thing it's not a case of uh going you know all the way back to the start new game plus you carry over your equipment your level your hit points and so that gives you the facility to beat the game in a matter of hours you know instead of the you know whatever it takes you the first time you can probably do it in depending on which ending you want um you can you can either look up or you can just try different things and experiment and try mm. to rack up all those different endings or mm. you can just watch them on YouTube. But mm. you know um, the option is there. And actually, just uh, I just started a new game plus just to see earlier. And um, yeah, just like just starting again and already having nine 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 hit points and the rainbow sword. Uh, it's just like yeah, I can. It becomes just an interactive story then. And then it's almost mm. like subsequent playthroughs are almost like a point and click adventure because the the difficulty is taken out of the of the the combat. There'll be no more grinding effectively. Um, there's an ending, for instance, where, where this would be nigh on impossible, I suspect, on the first playthrough. But on New Game Plus, if you beat if you beat Lavos the first time you meet it, there's an there's an ending for that. And of course. Um, with humor the credits roll at like multi-speed because you've beaten the game so fast stuff like that so you know I, i'd like to see all that stuff um obviously time and life will dictate that i i won't be doing them all but i am going to go and seek them all out for sure on youtube on the subject of uh new game plus then uh one richard eisenbice of uh kotaku writing for kotaku um wrote an interesting piece about about on this very subject. He says, one of the best things about Chrono Trigger is its replay value. When utilizing New Game Plus, you can beat the game at any time in the story and see what the ending would be at that point. Moreover, there are a few battles that are basically unwinnable the first time through the game without countless hours of leveling up that can be beaten on New Game Plus with interesting results. On top of that, there are several items in the game that can only be created at the expense of others. So you need to beat the game several times to get everyone equipped with the 
the best gear. Also, playing different scenes with different party members to see their take on events is interesting as well. So, in the many, many times I've beaten Chrono Trigger, I don't think I've played it exactly the same way twice. Sometimes I play it as a tragic love story where Chrono and Marl are always in the party together until she is forced to lead the party to victory alone after his death. Sometimes I make it the story of two enemies, Frog and Magus, who through mutual experience gain a grudging friendship. And sometimes I make it a story of girl power, where the men are forced to sit on the sidelines while the female party members save the world. Cool. Uh, Super side note, I'm going to guess nobody's touched this. The DS version has a multiplayer. (laughs) No, sorry. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Box ticking exercise much? Um, I say that. I don't think it's mentioned on the box. DS, wireless DS multi-card play. Mm. So you'd need friends with (laughs) Chrono Trigger to... uh, It might be the best thing ever, playing Chrono Trigger battles against somebody else. Might. Might be. Or not. Right, let's hear from some more community members. These people posted at canarince.com slash forum. We also have an email address if you'd care to use it. That's podcast at canarince.com. Alex Dola says, I have started Chrono Trigger more times than any other game ever. Ever. It all started many years back when one day I decided to start seeking out rare and high-priced video games on eBay at car boots and in the sale listings of local papers. I became obsessed with amassing a valuable collection, and obviously there was a place for Chrono Trigger in that. Memory fails me when I tried to recall how long I was looking for it or what I paid, but I remember being incredibly excited to finally have a copy appear on my doormat, along with an action replay cartridge to enable playing it on my pal SNES. I'd actually already got a couple of hours into the game using an emulator on a PC, but decided to restart the game on the proper hardware. Again, I ran through the carnival, playing the mini-games and enjoying the random, but not really random, battles, soaking up the story, the atmosphere. I carried on playing until I got to around the same point I'd reached via emulation, and then stopped. No idea why. I do this. I play games, then just stop playing them. I get incredibly frustrated with myself, and I don't know whether it can be attributed to a lack of concentration, self-discipline to finish things or what, but I do it, and it's annoying. Eventually, my prized copy of Chrono Trigger was passed on to someone else on eBay, and I carried on with my life. Then, a few years later, I heard it was going to be released for the Nintendo DS. I was excited all over again. Finally, another chance to complete this epic, incredible story. My copy arrived, and as with before, I played to around the same place. Really not that far at all. No major spoilers here, but it wasn't long after Frog joins your party. Again, frustratingly, I just stopped playing. I forgot about the game for a while and again carried on with my life. But then, oh my god, it was coming out for iPhone. Well, guess what? I got just as excited as I had done every other time I'd gone to play it. I checked the internet and the website daily for clues to a release date. I couldn't wait. It came out. I played an hour or so. I stopped playing. What the Kronos is wrong with me? I have owned more copies of this game than any other. I've owned it on SNES, PS1, Nintendo DS, iOS, Android, and never got further than the first time I ever played it. I want to play it. I want to experience it. I know I should. I'm a huge fan of the late 90s, early 2000 square RPGs, which only makes things worse. I know it's amazing. I know I'd love it, but my brain hates me and it won't let me play it. Maybe in another lifetime. (laughs) I don't know what to say. Just play it. <laughs> I, I can sympathise about getting to bits that are difficult. 
Don't <laughs> yeah, need to true. carry on. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Glenn Watts, uh, we've already heard from him, but this is on the game in general. He says, Chrono Trigger is in many ways an experiment. It sits mechanically somewhere between the rigid structure of the first five Final Fantasy games and the more real-time Secret of Mana series. It loses random battles, but it's still turn-based, for example. It also experiments with theme and setting. Time travel allows them to go to places other than just straight fantasy. Admittedly, they also experimented with setting in Final Fantasy VI, whose development overlapped that of Trigger, but it's hard to say which influenced the other, if indeed they did. I still don't really know how I rate it. It's pretty fun, especially for the opening ten or so hours, but whenever I've tried to play through it, I always run out of steam around the time you get to Isla's section. And yes, I know that means I've never actually played the Charla part of the game, which is where this game get it, gets its grandest storytelling moments. YouTube to the rescue. Trigger, then, to me, feels like the first game from a new studio. Some good, some bad, but promising much more in the future. Interesting. Chase 210. He's more positive overall. He says, man, I do love this game. I've never played the SNES original, mainly because I was about two years old when it was released in North America back in the 90s. I picked up the DS version after the rave reviews from gaming publications, and honestly, I didn't get it my first time. Almost my entire experience of RPGs up to this point was Pokemon, and playing something different felt weird, so I didn't bother with it and traded it pretty sharpish. I came back to it only in 2013, when I played many more RPGs, and it immediately hooked me. The lack of truly random encounters was a pretty neat feature I hadn't seen a lot of before, and I also like the way the battles present themselves. You can't argue with the active battle system in the game. It works great, and I enjoy the combo attacks, although I never had much cause to use them. Dungeons feel fairly standard RPG of that time fair, although that's not to say I don't enjoy travelling through them, because I do. The very locales in the game, due to the time travelling, is also pretty excellent and gives it a more fresh feeling than it might have had otherwise. I have a particular preference for the future, in which humanity has sealed itself within domes to protect against attack. There's not huge character development in the game, but I like the cast all the same, especially the guilt-ridden amphibian swordsman Frog. Definitely worth going back to, even now it's nearly 20 years old, although the DS and SNES versions are very expensive these days. The iOS and PSM versions are easily accessible and highly recommended. Yeah, that's, I think he makes an interesting point about the lack of actual character development. There's story arcs, but the characters are pretty much fully formed from the beginning. Is mm. that fair? I think that's fair. Yeah, I would say so. They're interesting story arcs, but yeah. you're right, there's, not, there's no big sort of revelation or realisation that any of them come to. Yeah. yeah. They, they don't really evolve over time. They kind of, you just meet them at a particular point in their life and they kind of remain that way. Mm. But I kind of like who they are at that point yeah. in their life. Yeah. So it didn't really bother me. Mm. Yes, sure enough. Yeah, on the subject of, of cost, um, I think at least at least some of us are going to be recommending uh, this game um, obviously the PSN version is just a few dollars as I said the um, the Wii virtual console version is uh, also a few quid or a few dollars buying it for the SNES will cost you some money uh, no doubt um, £100 plus I would imagine for a US copy um, The in terms of the DS version well I think the Japanese version is the cheapest 
um, but obviously it's in Japanese, which uh, probably for most of you is not a lot of use. But you can get that for just a, just a few quid. Then comes in terms of price comes the uh, the US version, which is uh, generally found around the sort of twenty something pound mark. Looking at eBay at yeah. the moment, and the PAL version um, or the European version is uh, is. It was made in fewer, in smaller quantities, I believe. So you'll be looking at um, sort of 30, 40 upwards for that. So not super cheap, but um, you'll get your money's worth out of it probably. Um, buying a hard copy of the PS version, I don't know, but I wouldn't recommend that personally. Right. A few of our listeners or tweet tweet followers, Twitter followers, uh, have reviewed Chrono Trigger in just three words, as we ask people to do. Follow us at Kane and Rince. And uh, let's start with Brian. Robotic Monkey says, good morning, Chrono. Alex79UK says, cry, no trigger. Flabio says, Yasunori Mitsuda begins. Uh, Michael Edwards says, slightly below expectations. Alabaster Mage says, classic Toriyama design. Sonic Alpha says, just play it. And finally, Andy Rodriguez says, stands times scrutiny. Very good. Right, uh, let us wrap up and summarise, concluding whether we would recommend this game to those who, imagine that, haven't played it before. Brian? So, uh, I've I've ummed and ahmed about this, given that I didn't nearly finish it. Yeah. Uh, But I, I think... Taking it in the context that I was playing it in, that I had to get it finished for a podcast, uh, mm. I was probably putting more pressure on myself than I, I would have done had I played it just, you know, through want of, of playing a game, sitting at home, on the way to work, whatever it is. So I would recommend it. I think the game, it, it feels fresh now. You know, this is the first time I've played it. This is the first time I've ever seen it in motion. And it, I, I thought the animation was stunning. I thought the artwork was great. The storyline is engrossing, and for 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 most of its runtime, I think it's actually quite a gentle experience. You know, it, it is well designed, it's well paced, and you don't really run up against problems that force you to go back and keep playing sections over and over to get your character up to a certain certain level. I think the where most people have problems is where I had problems, which is about the the halfway point. I think once you once you get the epoch, the the sort of uh, time travel device, and mm. the the game becomes a bit less directed. I think you know the the developers are basically saying, okay, you know what you're doing now, explore. And there were there was a sense that you could go in different directions, and you might run up against stuff there that you were. Uh, perhaps not ready for things like that. I don't, I don't think that was the case. I think I, you know, in, in my case, what stopped me was that I, I just wasn't thinking the, the puzzle of the boss through properly. Mm. So I think it's a game that, you know, it, it, it stands up now. I think for the, the back end of the section, I think you'll notice the lack of handholding that might accompany games nowadays, you know, telling you what to do, where to go. I think there's, there's less of that as the game goes on. But I think if you're willing to swallow your pride and, you know, have a quick peek at an online guide or something like that, you can overcome any of the 
any of the difficulties quite easily. I think you still you can still take pride in having done it yourself because you you know you still need to be reacting quickly and not making mistakes and things like that. So it's a very re- rewarding game in that sense. But you know, I'm just as I say, I'm just grateful that that you you, you pushed me to finish it because <laughs> I, it was the, the back end of it. The, the the last half of the game was just it was brilliant. It was there's so many nice little character touches. Okay, not character development, but little insights into the mm. the characters and the, their world and sort of their thoughts and feelings and it was it was really well really well done um i wish more modern jrpgs were like that because i've been playing persona 3 now for about 60 hours and i don't think i'm anywhere near the end and that's been going on about two or three <laughs> years and i'm not sure if i ever will and you know if that game had been wrapped up in you know 25 30 hours or however long it was I, you know I, it'd be brilliant so yeah chrono trigger has got still got a lot to teach modern games i think about how to make a a great story great adventure yeah thanks brian yeah uh, i mean this as i say this game took me uh the best part of six years um to complete which you might make you think that i didn't like it but i i loved all the 40 hours i spent with it apart from the bit where they took my avatar away um yeah, i can't as i say i can't really undersell how much that that threw me for a loop um putting that in the game there but i'm so pleased you know one of the reasons we uh scheduled this podcast tony and i was so that i would have the the impetus to to go through and finish it and brian actually you know hit upon one of the reasons there why i have always insisted that emergencies apart and unfinishable games apart i have always insisted that we complete games before talking about them because i've always felt that it changes your relationship with the game actually seeing the end credits um sometimes for the good sometimes for the worse and and whatever but but um i feel so um gratified to finally have kind of chrono triggers kind of you know like a bucket list game for me and um and i can i can finally tick it off and uh, and that's a great feeling. Um, but the 40 hours I spent with it, yeah, just uh, I just think it's a classic example of the genre, classic art, example of gaming of the era, classic example of um, Super Nintendo, Super Famicom gaming. Um, obviously, it's been ported to multiple things since then, but there's no there's no mistaking its roots. Um, the pixel art is just beautiful. The use of Mode Seven and stuff um, just tremendous, uh, incredibly. I think I think it would work even if you didn't have nostalgia for the era, because I think it works in the same way as something like. Um, uh, and obviously, the, these modern examples uh, hark back, but I think games like To the Moon and things like that have have a charm which is actually there is an element of charm which exists around using um kind of simplistic renderings of things um mm. in the same way as you know heavily stylized cartoons can be very endearing in their own way because they're not photorealistic and they're not necessarily crammed with um unnecessary detail or whatever um and yeah the thing that really um is the abs- the icing on the cake uh, even more even more than that? It's more integral than that. I'd say it's the buttercream filling uh, to my uh, deluxe sandwich cake. Is um, <laughs> is the soundtrack, uh, which uh, is probably the thing that you know. Long after, because time will not allow me to go back and see all those endings and play New Game Plus, I will still be going onto YouTube and um, and listening to bits of music, both in their original incarnation from the game and also the uh, the many orchestrations and live renderings of of that soundtrack. Um, 
which just yeah made an already rich atmosphere um absolutely all encompassing um yeah and anyone who's ever enjoyed a jrpg and hasn't played this one i would urge you to um add it to your list of games to play if you hate all jrpgs this there's no denying that this game does still have a lot of uh, JRPG things. It is still, it still has that stuff that you probably don't like. Maybe to a slightly lesser extent because <coughs> of the lack of invisible random monsters and things like that. So, I would say if you really love narrative uh, and characters in games, but don't generally get on with JRPGs, this might be the one that you could play. Um, but to everyone else, uh, highly recommended, especially the DS version. Josh. So as as we've covered many times um, on this podcast, I, my youth means that a lot of classics have passed me by, but I really value that perspective uh, at times because I can go back to stuff like Castlevania, uh, Symphony of the uh, Symphony of the Night, and Chrono Trigger without any nostalgia, but still appreciate the things that make them so great, and I, and I think. Chrono Trigger is an example of a game that's really ahead of its time. Um, there are so many lessons here in terms of game design, in terms of respecting the player's time as well. Uh, just designing the game, the, the way the combat is designed, whether there aren't random battles, where there's not a loading screen, it just goes straight into the battle screen. Um just all of that stuff. I, I wish a lot of games now implemented that stuff. But even now, even games that I really love, um, like the Persona series, uh, I've been playing Persona Q recently, and that game is riddled with tropes that Chrono Trigger, uh, thankfully, doesn't have. Hmm. Um, I, I I think the, the decision to make it a lot shorter was... Um, was a, a smart move. Um, it, it allows the story to feel uh, dense and and uh, feel fast paced in a in a way that I haven't really encountered in any other JRPG I've played personally. I'm sure somebody will bring up some examples of uh, shorter, more faster paced uh, JRPGs. The but last for me story. Personally, ah, okay. Well, I haven't played that, no. but Chrono Trigger is is one of the the most out of all the JRPGs I've played. It respects your your time more than any other I've played. And you've already mentioned the soundtrack. I I think the like legitimately, it's it's one of my favorite soundtracks of all time. And and I I always find that interesting because I didn't grow up with SNES games or mm. NES games, so. I don't have any nostalgia for um you know 8-bit 16-bit uh, chiptune music. I don't I don't have that. Mm. It's just the quality of the writing of the music yeah. that is coming through. It's just really well-written music and really imaginative and really creative that it doesn't matter what format it comes in whether it's orchestrated or whether it's in this chiptune format. It's still a pleasure to listen to. <coughs> Um, I I love all these characters. They're not the most sophisticated characters I've ever encountered in a video game, but they're they're lovable. They're fun. They're just they're exciting to be around. 
And I, I think, yeah, I, if I was going to recommend a classic JRPG for people to go back to, as much as I love stuff like Final Fantasy VII, I have to admit that those games have... Time has not been kind to those kind of games. Uh, whereas Chrono Trigger has... As really, as as one as Andy Rodriguez said, like it stands time scrutiny really well. It's 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 aged beautifully, and I I would recommend this game to anyone. Lovely. Let's conclude with our guest Simon. Yeah, uh, I guess I'm going to mirror a lot of what uh, Josh was saying, but from you know, obviously I, I have nostalgia towards this game, so I, I am looking at it from a different perspective. Um, from personally, it, uh, you know this is a really special game to me because uh, I first played it, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, at a time when I, I, I definitely needed some escapism from what was going on elsewhere in my life. And uh, sort of from that point on, I've, I've had a real attachment to it. And that's bolstered by the fact that it's a, a, a game of extremely high quality. You know, I've been playing JRPGs for a, a long time now and it's uh, it's definitely a high watermark in the genre and uh you know and that stands now even in 2015 there are very few games i think that have reached the heights that chrono trigger has you know maybe uh, that, that have you know injected life into you know a genre that's often accused as being being a bit stale mm. you know i think of, i'm thinking of games like uh xenoblade chronicles recently and persona 3 uh, the other two games I can think of that I'd probably rate alongside when I trigger as uh, in that as being you know high watermarks in that genre, um, you know and whenever I play a JRPG I look I think about what is it that's you know what's hooking me into it and it's you know it's one of usually three things and that's the you know the battle system uh, whether the you know whether it's addictive whether it's not going to get boring after a hundred hours. Um, whether the characters, whether you care about them. Um, there's a lot of JRPGs that, you know, you really don't care for the characters. They they, they fall into the usual, um, you know, emo tropey. Um, yeah, there's a lot of melodrama and you, you, you lose connection with them. And the other thing is a, a story that's going to, you know, compel you. And, you know, when you look at Chrono Trigger, I think it delivers on all those fronts. Um, yeah, it's a really special game for me, and I would highly recommend it to anyone. Uh, if you've got a DS or a 3DS, and you know, if you're saying that the DS version is about thirty-five, forty pounds, it's probably some of the best forty pounds you'll ever spend. Yeah, highly recommended. Excellent stuff. So it just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank Brian, Josh, and Simon. Would you like to promote your excellent Twitter feed type thing? Uh, yes, you can follow me at, at the Sonic Mole. Uh, can't guarantee quality yeah, as far as tweets that go. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the <laughs> mediocre one. No, the other one. <laughs> what are you talking about? I, I enjoy tweeting about the uh, the smells of my bus on the way to work. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I also do call, uh, at Cool Box Art, which is um, sort of uh, a loving look at. Mostly Japanese box art because let's face it, it's the it's the best. Um, and uh, I think I've I've recruited at eighty seventh from uh, from Twitter, who some of you might know, who who, who knows his onions, mm. and he's uh, digging out some real gems at the moment. So if if you want to f- follow a, a Twitter feed that's about video games and is 
Uh, it doesn't contain any of the, the sort of snark and bitterness that you, you see on your timelines a lot these days. Uh, follow at CoolBoxArt and uh, in, enjoy enjoy CoolBoxArt. Yeah, at CoolBoxArt, I absolutely agree. It's um, it's very much like something uh, we would have done. I mean, that's a compliment in that it's a celebration of uh, something great about video games and not, you know. I mean, that said, I would certainly enjoy a rubbish box art feed as well because that's amusing. But uh, but CoolBoxArt, yeah, it's just really nice. They just just pop up from time to time and you go yeah that is cool box art <laughs> so what i really like what i really like about it is that anyone who replies to you is always really enthusiastic about you know the game that you've posted and it's you know it's a celebration of video games exactly which is what you want at the end of the day isn't that quite right and well said so next time in issue 167 it's more time hopping as we travel back to 1976 for silent hill oranges Origins. Origins.